0: Can I invite you this morning just to call to mind what causes you to stand in awe of God? We've not done this for a while, but could you just yell out like a quality of God that causes you to stand in awe of him? His mercy. His kindness, his provision. His generosity. His his forgiveness. His faithfulness. Unconditional love. It's happening, you're, if you're watching online, it's happening too fast for me to. Lord, we stand in awe of who you are today. We stand in awe of your goodness and generosity to us, made known in Jesus, who gives us his Holy Spirit for us to walk in power and holiness. We stand in awe of your protection over us. We stand in awe of your, of your kindness to us in our sin. We stand in awe of the miraculous things that you do. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you lead us? Um, would you lead us today, Father? Could we just sing that little bit one more time through, Julia? I still, I stand. And so, Father, would you give us a fresh measure of your Holy Spirit? Paul says, do not be drunk on wine, but be continuously filled by the Holy Spirit. So would you give us a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit today, whether we're in the house or in, our, in this house or in our houses. Even for the kids and the teachers in the back, Lord, would you move in powerful ways today? We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King and our friend. Amen. Grab a seat grab a seat um this is a weird thing to tell you about to start us off but um which makes you nervous when i say that makes you nervous i say um uh when we were singing uh is he worthy that's a song based on revelation 5 revelation 7 and uh, there's a pastor in texas his name is matt chandler and i've listened to him off and on throughout the years And he is preaching through the book of Revelation right now. And I I just commend that series to you. Um, It is the best teaching on the book of Revelation I have ever heard. I've ever heard. Is it cutting in and out again? Um, It's the best teaching I've ever heard. I also want you to listen to it. So that way, when it's my turn to preach the book of Revelation, I don't just plagiarize. You know what I'm saying? That way you'll have heard it. So you'll know. But um, uh, I think... um, It's really interesting to listen to a pastor in Texas coming from a vastly different theological tradition than we are Who is saying very similar things about the moment that we are in and God's desire to move in it And so i'm i'm really thankful for that Um, We had an awesome time with uh, pastor guillermo pastor rodriguez. So again, thank you for your generosity toward them and um, We are just so excited about I mean, listen The question is not if we are going to cuba the question is when are we going to cuba? Comprende? Uh, see. So um, we started talking about that, and uh, I, Steph and I find ourselves in conversation, even to each other. Like instead of saying yes, saying see, si, see, si, because we've been quasi translating uh, throughout the week. So excited about that. We're going to be everywhere in the Bible today, but why don't you go ahead and open to Mark nine. Go ahead and open to Mark nine, and and we'll get there eventually. Um, how many of you? have a junk drawer in your house how many have a junk drawer okay how many of you have more than one junk drawer okay how many of you have like a junk closet okay let's bow our heads and pray for these people you know what I mean (laughs) let's intercede on their behalf um growing up we had a junk drawer and uh you know if you opened that junk drawer in our kitchen growing up you would have found I mean everything everything here's what I, I secretly think I think um, all junk drawers transcend time and space and are actually the same. So the same junk that is in your drawer is in everyone's drawer. It is omnipresent junk. Um, and and in my, But in the junk drawer growing up in my house, it would have been like 12 keys that nobody knows what they opened and like dead markers without lids and lots of pens, none of them work, right? Um, and, like, string and Legos, and because I have little brothers, like, a an action figure arm just floating around in there. Um, the junk drawer is where you put what you don't know. You don't know where else to put it, right? So let's just throw it in there. That's where the scissors go. If you need some scissors, my mom growing up, just look in the junk drawer, and, it, you know, it was there. It was, it's like the room of requirement in Harry Potter, right? Like, whatever you need is probably in the junk drawer, right? And if it's not, you don't need it, you know? So, um, This sermon is what I'm calling the junk drawer fasting sermon. And and here's why I'm calling it that. We've been preaching on fasting for four beautiful, wonderful, some may say punishing weeks. Um, Guillermo, uh, did I say this out loud already in this service? I can't tell anymore. But uh, Guillermo on Wednesday night goes, how many of you know about fasting? And everybody in the room laughed, right? I was like, Guillermo, yeah. Oh, I did say this out loud, didn't I? Somebody say, help him, Jesus. You know what I mean? So we've got four weeks behind us, we've got this one and one more, and the reality is I have only really scratched the surface of the various reasons that the Bible calls us to fast, and so today I have found, uh, I'm going to name seven circumstances for which we are called to fast, and I'm going to call this the junk drawer, because I'm hoping that we're going to root around in our junk drawer together today, and you're going to hear maybe a clear call from God to fast fast in a specific kind of way, but before we get into those seven circumstances, I want to talk about exactly just a reminder. What is fasting? What is fasting? Because the problem with fasting is, and John Wesley and the church mothers and fathers say this, the problem with fasting is that we are prone to overdo it or not do it at all. So some of you, this is week four of fasting, and you've yet to really step into fasting. Others uh, somebody that I've been kind of fasting with on a regular, the first week we fasted said he ended up fasting four times that week. <laughs> He's super spiritual. And it wasn't me. And, um, and, and so we find ourselves either overdoing fasting or totally ignoring fasting. And, and in both cases, it's because we've misplaced the reason and purpose we're called to fasting. Fasting is primarily a response to a circumstance. Fasting primarily is a response. Scott McKnight says that fasting is how we respond to a grievous, sacred moment. You can keep that one up there for a minute there, Kai. Thanks, bud. When we see rampant injustice against the unborn, against people of color this week, against Asian Americans, when we see rampant injustice, we are called to fast. When we become aware of the weight of our sin, we are called to fast. When we are reminded of the sacredness of our createdness, we fast. Fasting is how we respond to what's happening around us. A, what's, happening is a, when what's happening is a grievous, sacred moment. But for many of us, fasting is less about a response and more about taking initiative. We fast in order to get something. We fast in order to motivate God. And when we fast this way, when we fast as a means to an end, as a spiritual tool to like prod God into doing what we want him to do, that is when we are prone to overdoing fasting or underdoing it. Because if fasting impresses God, if fasting gets God to do what I want him to do, if fasting gives me control over uh, who God is and what he will do, I'm going to fast all the time because it's my secret power to get whatever answer to prayer I'm looking for. But here's the problem with that. Let's say I do that and I've been fasting, and, but what happens when I fast and God doesn't do what I wanted him to do while I fast? I'm probably going to throw up my hands and stop fasting entirely. When we believe that fasting is an instrument or a tool, an instrument or a tool to get God to do what we want to do, what has happened is that we have allowed our hearts and minds to wrap themselves around a God who isn't really God. I want you to hear the good news this morning. God loves you. He loves you with the everlasting love of a very good and very gracious dad. There is nothing I can do to make God love me more. There is nothing I can do to make God love me less. And so when we fast to impress God, when we fast to get God moving, I have replaced God who loves me and seeks to give me what I need. I have replaced him with a God that needs motivated. I would be a poor father if Jack needed to obey perfectly for me to get him to love him. I'd be a poor dad if every time Jack didn't successfully pee on the potty, I refrained from giving him what he needed. The life of following Jesus is admittedly a tension. A tension between ask whatever you will in my name and it will be done, and not your will but mine. There's a tension to fasting, because I am not saying today that prayer is meaningless. I'm not saying today... Prayer doesn't change things, it changes us. Prayer changes things. We have a a genuine partnership with God such that our prayer can affect circumstances around us. But if we pray or even fast to get God to do what we want him to do, we have ceased being genuinely Christian. We have started practicing some other religion. And so that's why Scott McKnight in his great book on fasting says, the focus in the Christian tradition is not if you fast, you will get But when this happens, God's people fast. Does my praying and fasting have the power to change things? Well, God can use those things to change circumstances, absolutely. Will that happen every time? No. Fasting is not a tool or a magic wand or an instrument I use to get God to do what I want him to do. It's a response. It's a response, which is why this chart, this next one there, Malachi, is important. So there's a sacred moment to which we respond with fasting, that results in, so Steph preached about sin and, sin and conviction a few weeks ago. Here's the sacred moment, a realization of the weight of our sin to which we respond in fasting and find forgiveness. We are afraid. And so we fast in response to that grievous sacred moment and we find safety. Now, the biblical move in fasting is from A to B to C, but generally we just like to go from B to C. If I fast, I will get answers. If I fast, I will get help. If I fast, I get hope. If I fast, and so, um, and so Scott McKnight says, when the grievous sacred moment, when A is ignored, when the grievous sacred moment is neglected, and instead we focus on the results, fasting becomes a manipulative device instead of a genuine Christian spiritual discipline. We want to be people who fast A, B, C because that is fasting as a response. And in that response, we partner with God in that response we partner with faith but in that response, even as we say ask anything in my name and it will be done we also recognize the tension of Jesus saying not my will but yours be done we walk in tension in this life and as we look through scripture there are at least seven circumstances technically there is eight but I had to lop one off the eighth is grief but there are seven circumstances to which people's, God's people respond by fasting throw up that list there for me guys There are seven moments that call for fasting. The first is a national moral disaster. The second is the failure of others. The third is the health of others. The fourth is the desires of our hearts. The the fifth is guidance from God. The sixth is during spiritual warfare. And the seventh is for renewal and revival. Should only take us about 90 years to get through that list of seven. Um, Actually, this is a shorter sermon, so because we're just going to kind of skip across these like a rock on a pond. So let's talk about, let's dig around in our junk drawer together and let's pull out the first circumstance to which God's people respond by fasting, which is a national moral disaster. Not a nas- nat old disaster, not a tornado or a flood or hurricane, a national moral disaster. In Judges 19 and 20, we read the story of a horrible moral disaster among God's people. It involves rape and murder and violence it is a national desire. It is a national moral disaster because what has happened is there has been revealed a rot at the core of God's people, a moral negligence that has been brought. And so Judges 20, 26 and 27 says, when they realized this violence and this bloodshed and, and, and this hatred and this ugliness and this sin, it says, then all the Israelites went up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord and fasted until evening. They brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites went up seeking direction from the Lord. Now, admittedly, it's true. We, as Americans in 2021, living in a republic, have a very different relationship with our nation and our government than did Israel in the Old Covenant. The government, the land they lived on, were specific parts of God's covenant with his people, they lived in a theocracy. But the command remains all the same, that when we see a national moral disaster, we respond by fasting. And I think what's interesting about this practice is in our cultural moment, the way that we engage with national moral disasters is a post in our Insta stories that lasts 24 hours and then we get to move on. Unless we're a person of color, unless we're a minority, unless. And instead of going outward, Engaging in almost sometimes what feels like a performative solidarity. What if there's an invitation to turn inward? A turn inward when we see, and I'm not saying, by the way, we don't be good citizens of our country and vote and elect and do all of those things, but I'm saying to be a citizen of the kingdom is to respond to a national moral disaster with a prayer, a body prayer of grief and lament We respond to national moral disasters with fasting. We respond to the failure of others with fasting. In Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy it literally means second law, namas, and it's, Deuteronomy is a summary of the events of Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. It's Moses' last sermon before the people enter the Holy Land without him, the Promised Land without him. So in Deuteronomy 9, he's recounting this story. And in Deuteronomy 9, he says, Moses says, So while the mountain was blazing with fire, I turned and came down, holding in my hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, in other words, known as the Ten Commandments. There below me, I could see that you had sinned against Yahweh your God. You had melted gold and made a calf idol for yourself. Then, as before, I threw myself down before the Lord for 40 days and nights, I ate no bread and drank no water because of the great sin you had committed by doing what the Lord hated, provoking him to anger. Moses sees the failure of others and he responds in fasting. A few weeks ago, um, we, it was finally revealed that uh, Ravi Zacharias, a man who m- many of us in our community, me included, have respected, who had a global ministry of evangelism and apologetics, that in the background... There was, a consistent, uh, there was a consistent sin of sexual rebellion, of abusing women. Um, and it was, it's interesting to watch when this happens because um, if you're like over 50 in the room, you have memories of Christian leaders falling, but it's almost always financial. It's almost always financially related. Not all the time, but almost always. In my generation, 50 and under, it's typically connected to sexual sin and like a protracted um, pattern of like abuse and intimidation and fear um, sometimes against women sometimes' just against the staff and the church um, and not that money doesn't play a role in that it's just interesting to think about how generations interact generations interact with and receive the failing of Christian leaders. And when a guy like Ravi falls so publicly, I mean, the guys that I listened to uh, when I was in Bible college, the guys that came and spoke at chapel, they are out of ministry now. Not because they stole money or slept with someone, but because they were consistently angry. They were consistently abusive in their words. Uh, When that happens, again, there's a few responses. And one of them is this kind of social media outcry thing. Right. The other one is this kind of deconstructing, right? I trusted God because I trusted this guy, and now this guy failed, so this God must fail too. So I deconstruct my faith. The third response is to kind of voyeuristically want to like find out all the juicy details. I don't know who that is. I don't know who their church, but oh, tell me. What happened? Like it makes your, it creates this hunger inside of you to get to the bottom of it. And the Bible says instead of voyeuristically trying to busybody and get all the details of why a person fell, even though there's people with blogs who get paid money to do this, um, the, the thing that we don't do is deconstruct because, by the way, like God is faithful, men fail. So, like, if, you know, there's going to be this, um, and, or, or even just kind of engaging in like social media stuff. Um, which again just often, so often feels performative. Scripture calls us again to turn inward, to turn to God, and to say with like the longing of our bodies, to pray with our bodies, to speak how empty this failure makes us feel, to speak how discouraged this makes us feel. The Bible calls us to turn inward and to bring ourselves in the presence of God instead of turning outward, right? National moral disasters, the failure of others. This is a happy sermon, okay? The third is the health of others. A biblical circumstance that calls for fasting is the health of others, When a loved one falls ill, when someone we dearly care about is sick, a child, a parent, a spouse, a grandchild, that that evokes in us such worry and anxiety that it almost feels so appropriate to fast in that. But we have to be careful, don't we, that we're not engaged in that instrumental kind of fasting. Well, maybe if I fast, God will heal them. Fasting is praying with our bodies what the soul longs for. It is not a magic wand to bring about the healing of another. It may. This is the mystery of faith. Ask anything in my name and it will be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. We have a cross and we have a resurrection, right? And we hold these two events in tension. This is an interesting passage about fasting for others. This is David, Psalm 34, Psalm 35, excuse me. Look at this, he says, Malicious witnesses testify against me. They accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. How many of you have been accru- accused of doing something that you did not do? Basically everyone, okay. And if you haven't, just give it another minute. I'll make something up. (laughs) Then you know how it feels. They accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. David says, they repay me evil for good. I am sick with despair. Now look at this. Yet when they were ill, I grieved for them. I denied myself by fasting for them. But my prayers returned unanswered. I was sad as though they were fri- friends or family, as if I were grieving for my own mother. I'll tell you what, the people that have accused me of things that I have not done, the way my name has been slandered by others, which has happened, when they get sick, hear me, I am not going, yes. Nor am I saying I should fast for them. I should fast that they would be better. Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your enemies and hate those who persecute, hate your enemies and and, and those who persecute you, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We fast for the health of others, which is just one of the many desires that are genuine and good and legitimate that the Bible actually calls us to fast for. We're called to fast for the desires of our hearts. The desires of our hearts. In 1 Samuel, we meet a woman named Hannah, who is barren. Hannah, who is barren. And uh, she has a sister wife. The reason that the Bible allows polygamy, especially in the Old Testament, the reason it tells a story about polygamy, it's not to encourage it, because all you have to do is read the stories of the dudes that have more than one wife, and their life is a living H-E-double hockey sticks. You know what I mean? So, Critics of the Bible will say, "Well, see, the Bible says you can have more than one ma- mer- more than one spouse." No, it does not, because it's implied in the narrative that it's awful. In this case, in First Samuel's case, Hannah's sister, wife, Peninnah, Peninnah is constantly taunting Hannah for being barren while she pops out one baby after another. Which I'll tell you what, Steph and I walked through four years of infertility with three miscarriages, and I know that longing. I know that longing of it seems like everybody around me gets to have more. We're okay. know no there's kids like yeah. you online if you're in the room and like infertility becomes is or becomes a part of your story like we love you and we see you um because this is just so dear and tender to us um and so first samuel says um of hannah's husband that though he loved hannah he would only give her one choice portion of meat at the feast because the lord had given her no children so Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would haunt, taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Hannah is is not just not eating because she said she's fasting. The desire of her heart is so strong; the longing of her soul is so deep. She expresses it with her body. She brings her whole self to the conversation. What are you longing for today? What thing that God seems to have no problem giving everybody else are you longing for today? To be married? To have a good marriage? For a child? For your children, for your grandchildren, for your spouse to know Jesus? we express that desire of our hearts with fasting, not because bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, it gives it to us, but because God is inviting us into a deeper hunger and encounter with him even in that longing. I am not glad to have walked through four years of infertility. I am not glad that Jesus is raising three of my children. But I do know him deeper and better because God wastes nothing. What is the longing of your heart? God says express that through fasting. I think that's four down, seven to go. Shake it off, everybody. Take a break, okay. All right. Sometimes we have desires that are weighty and unfulfilled and sometimes we have questions that are weighty and unanswered don't we flip over hold your finger in mark because I want to hang out there but flip over to Acts chapter 13 I don't want to spend a ton of time here because we're going to get there eventually but Acts chapter 13 remember that when we last left our heroes there's this church in Antioch that is Jew and Gentile exploding this multi-ethnic church excuse me this multi-ethnic church is exploding I love when I kind of have a little semi-burp while I'm preaching because then people listen online, they're like, well, he sounds nice. Anyway. (laughs) And so we also have this giant Jewish church down in Jerusalem. But remember, Jesus has said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now we've got this huge task that we don't know how to live into. And so in Acts chapter 13, it says... One day as these men, Saul, Barnabas, all of these key people, key church leaders in Antioch, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. God, we, there's this huge task before us. We don't know how to live into it. We need guidance. We need help. They pray and they fast. And what happens is it clears out the junk so that they can hear from God and engage with him few weeks ago we met as an oversight team we get that word from first peter five it just means elder or overseer there's eight of us on that team we wanted to have a clear sense of direction for like some next things in our church which we'll be sharing with you eventually and while i was in i was in the leadership environment i've wanted to be in my entire life because we talked about the details for like an hour and a half and then we came in this room and we were on our knees and we prayed and we prayed we didn't look at the numbers and get a spreadsheet and say, well, that makes sense to us. Let's do that choice. We said we are not leaving until we have a clear word from the Lord. That is the, that is the standard for spiritual leadership in Scripture. These are the kinds of people that we have called together who pray, hear a word from the Lord, saddle up your horse, let's go. That's what happens at our staff team. It's not that it makes sense. That's easy for us. It's what is the Lord saying? Well, what are we going to do about it? Sometimes when we have a question or we need guidance from God, that, cre- that need, that creates such a circumstance, such a grievous sacred moment that the only way to respond is to fast, to clear out the junk so that we can hear from God. Guidance from God. We also fast during intense spiritual warfare. Let's look at Mark 9 together. I love this story. Mark 9, start in verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they, which is Jesus, Peter, James, and John, this is right at the Transfiguration, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus said. Verse 17 One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Hey, by the way, demons are still real. Audrey and Guillermo asked them about this. Art and Pam asked them about this. Ken and Marion asked them about this. This is just, this is, this is how demonic spirits work, Okay. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit and they couldn't do it. Verse 19, Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how much longer must I be with you? How much I put, must longer I put up with you? Bring your boy to me. Verse 20, so they brought the boy and when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child and threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground writhing and foaming at the mouth. So they have this little conversation. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy, father. Well, since he was a little boy, the Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Verse 23, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. The Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Anybody feeling that way on a regular basis? I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Okay, then... Uh, Then Jesus looked at the crowd of onlookers. He was growing. He rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Now look at verse 28 and 29. Jesus has like a little post-game gym conversation locker room conversation I've never been in a locker room for a conversation like this but I'm told they happen <laughs> afterward when Jesus was alone in the house of his disciples they asked him why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit my translation includes a word that yours might not this kind can be cast out only by fasting and prayer Audrey and Guillermo's church they fast together multiple times a week It's partially because they can really only afford food four days out of seven. It's partially because the spiritual warfare is so real and so intense that they need to engage and find a new kind of strength. And that's what Jesus does. When I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus goes toe to toe with the devil himself in Luke four and has victory over the devil when he fasts for 40 days. Because fasting is, is the way that we find our way to spiritual power. One of the things that I have been so aware of when I fast is how much I rely on like my own energy and strength to kind of keep people entertained and jazzed up. So I'll be fasting and I'll be leading meetings and leading these conversations and find inside myself the tank of my personality is just empty. And so any good stuff that happens in that period has to be the Lord because I can barely string two thoughts together. You know what I'm saying? When I am weak, then I am strong. There's a grievous sacred moment that comes when we encounter spiritual warfare so intense that requires us to respond in fasting. Okay, and then number seven, last but not least, we fast in response to a need for renewal and revival. Um, There are seasons when God's people need renewal and revival. I think we're in one. I think we've been in one. There are seasons when God absolutely must do a new thing among his people. And when we realize that need, when we catch the idea that God wants to do something fresh, that is the very definition of a grievous sacred moment. When we realize the ambivalence of God's people, when we come to grips with God's holiness and our tolerance of sin, That is the very definition of a grievous sacred moment. And what do we do when we encounter a grievous sacred moment? We fast. Ezra and Nehemiah are two books in the Old Testament and they are about the restoration and revival of God's people. They are about renewal. And in both of these books, fasting plays a key role. There are more references to fasting in Ezra and Nehemiah than in almost all of the rest of the Old Testament. There are more references per book than in any other. Why? Because the grievous sacred moment, the need for renewal and revival was so deep and so real and so real that the only response was fasting. Fasting but when we respond to the need for renewal and revival it positions us to be to participate it positions us to participate in a move of God renewal and revival always come after crisis don't know about you but the last 12 months feel a little crisisy, y crisis-adjacent crisis-ish crisis always comes before renewal and revival And if there's renewal and revival, it will happen because, and if if there's renewal and revival, and if we're to experience it, we have to posture ourselves to be part of it. Fasting is a part of that. Fasting does not bring renewal and revival. It's the way we posture ourselves to receive it. And when we look at every significant move of God, the first great awakening, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, the second great awakening, Charles Finney, The Azusa Street Revival, the Welsh Revival, fasting always plays a significant role in a new move of God. Fasting always plays a significant role in a new move of God. So there's seven reasons to fast. Can you pull up that list for me again, Kai? Thanks, buddy. National moral disaster, the failure of others, the health of others, the desires of our hearts, guidance from God, during spiritual warfare, for renewal and revival, I didn't even include grief, so I finish this, get to this part of my sermon, I've kind of typed through all these, and I think to myself, man, like, Lord, that is a lot. <laughs> and I swear to you, I, it was like the Lord kind of came back instantly with, well, it's a good thing you have the rest of your life. There are so many moments in our lives. There are so many circumstances And we encounter them and we think, I have no idea how to engage with this. A lot of those circumstances that leave us frustrated or struggling or speechless or wondering where God is, these are circumstances like this to which historically and biblically God's people respond with fasting. When I look back over my life and I think about those moments where I wondered, God, where are you? those moments where I wondered, I, I, don't know, I don't know how to do this, which is frankly most of my Christian life. If you're on the fence about Jesus, I just want to warn you that following Jesus has only ever made my life more complicated. Okay? All of those moments I look back on, struggling to engage with God, I realize as I'm writing the sermon that all of those moments were the very moments the Bible says Fast. A lot of those circumstances are circumstances that call for fasting. The Bible's invitation in those moments is to connect with God through fasting. And by ramming it to the back of the junk drawer, like when I'm struggling spiritually, you know what I do? I call art. I call Dan. I call my dads. You know, I call, I call, I call my spiritual parents. I, I call my mentors. I call my friends. I go to worship. I put on some worship music. I read scripture. Steph and I pray together. And way back there, behind the junk drawer, the back of it, like behind the dead markers and the pens that aren't working and dead nine-volt batteries, there's, there's fasting. And I wonder, are we struggling spiritually in so many circumstances? Because the way that God gives us to respond to those circumstances have been shoved to the back of the junk drawer, Are we struggling in a way that God doesn't necessarily intend us to struggle because we have said fasting is too hard, or too inconvenient, or too old-fashioned, or too spiritual? But in circumstance after circumstance, God's people, stunned, overwhelmed, burdened, in need of His intervention, they fast. And by cutting ourselves by fasting, by cutting ourselves off from fasting, have we cut ourselves off from the deeper connection? So many of us are longing for. If you're at regen, this is a pretty high bar church. Regen is a hard church to kind of just come and go in. Like eventually you're gonna be face to face with the tangible presence of God. Eventually you're gonna be in a small group, you're eventually gonna be in a small group conversation that's uncomfortable. Eventually we're gonna ask you to step out in ministry. It's just it's just if comfort is your jam, regen is not your jam if you're at regen, it's because you're longing for a deeper connection with God. If you're at regen, it's because you're longing for a deeper connection with God. And and as I've worked with him, all I can find myself thinking is what if fasting is that thing that we all are all looking for, but nobody's ever told us to do it? And I wonder, what if this is what Jesus is thinking about in Matthew 6? You know, Matthew 6, he says, when you fast. His fundamental assumption is that the people that follow him will fast. What if Jesus is thinking, I want to make sure my people fast the right way because my people are going to be faced with so many challenges and so many difficulties. They're going to be fasting. There's just too many challenges to following me. They're they're going to be fasting. I want to make sure they fast in the right way. I want to make sure they don't fast like the hypocrites. What if Jesus is thinking, you're going to be faced with so many challenges. It's a good thing I've shown you time and time again in my life and in the story of my people, that fasting is how you engage with me in that season. What if Jesus is thinking, I've given them a gift and I want to make sure they open the gift? What if Jesus is thinking, I've given them a gift, I want to make sure they use it responsibly? What if Jesus is thinking, I've given them a gift because I so long to know them? I so long for them to know me. And so the question I have today, and Steph will lead response time, is this Are you fasting? week five five down one to go and is this just Kyle being Kyle is this just a sermon series to endure or is this a persevering invitation from Jesus to live not on bread alone but on every word from the mouth of God Seth
1: If you could just leave that list up there actually I was just going to ask you to leave that list up um, here at Regen we do response time because we don't just want to hear God's word and walk away um, from the conviction from the nudge of the Holy Spirit from that sense that God is speaking to us maybe the, the heartbeat that you kind of your rapid heartbeat when you look at one of the things on that list um, so my invitation for response time today is um, during our time of silence which one is God highlighting for you And then my question is, what are you going to do about that? Um, And if you can't, if you're someone who can't fast from food, because we've talked about this, some of you can't, either um, for mental health issues or because of physical issues, then what is the thing that God is calling you to fast from um, in that area? So is it less time on social media so you can be praying? Is it um, less time maybe talking to a friend or a spouse and more time praying about something the Lord is inviting you to on this list? So um, because we believe that we, as the people of Jesus, we can hear his voice, let's take a minute here and, and ask him to speak to us. I'm going to say, Father, please, for each of us in this room, highlight on this list what you have for us. Father, speak to us in what ways you want us to fast and in what ways you want to meet with us and how you want to know us. So let's take a moment of silence. confess that so often during our week we feel discouraged, we feel dismayed, we feel uh, isolated, we feel separated from you. Um, And Father, we confess that in that we often turn to things that distract, that we um, are fun or are at least entertaining, and that we don't turn to you, and that we don't come so Father, I pray that we would be a people who take seriously your invitation to fast so that we can have more of you. Father, I pray that throughout the week, that for those who press into fasting, press into more of you, that they would, um, that you would fulfill your promise, that for those who seek you, that they would find you. And that when we come together next week, that we would have more of you. And that that would be evident. We ask these things in your name, amen. Um, If you would like prayer, either because you're experiencing maybe something physical going on or whether it's in relationship to the sermon today, um, Art and Pam and myself will be back in the room, we would, and Kyle, and we would love to pray with you um, and just be present with you. So go ahead and turn over to Julia. We love you. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.